Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I still haven't been able to get my ring off. You've been fighting that for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, apparently I had like a slim day and uh, (laughs) I was able to get my wedding ring back on, uh, but I haven't been able to get it off since and it makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Claustrophobic? Very claustrophobic. And I've seen a couple of like tips and tricks mm-hmm. on YouTube or whatever about yeah. how to get it off. And no, every no. time, no, it doesn't work. And uh, I get it about halfway off and then it gets even more stuck. <laughs> and then I start to shake violently. Oh, no. Um, so uh, I've just, I just bought a bunch of soup. Um, <laughs> so that's wait, just, wait, wait, wait. Your rings don't fit. So you bought soup. Yeah. I figure if I just eat soup for a couple of days, then I'll be able to get my ring off. Is that not sound logic? That's Well, it is now that you explain it. But the way that you said it, it was a very... I like to call those types of interactions catisms. That's not a thing. Sometimes you say things that I've never heard another person say. For example, last night, it's maybe two in the morning. I'm getting my regular middle of the night bowl of cereal and Kat just wanders out into the kitchen, rubs her eyes and says, when do you think they invented haircuts? And for a moment, I had to think about that. Um, And I started to answer, and then I realized, no, we're both sleep-deprived, and that was probably more rhetorical. In nature. Catisms. Anyway. Shall I proceed with... Please do, yes. ...what I have for you today? Mm -hmm. It's long been believed that certain tones or frequencies can have various effects on one's physiology or the brain or the body in general, both positive and negative. And throughout history, it's been believed that different tones had different effects on both the body and the mind. Interesting. Now, today, we recognize these tones as frequencies on the sound spectrum. It's more of a scientific approach. And they're referred to as solfeggio frequencies. Back in the 1970s, 
Physician and researcher Dr. Joseph Hollow conducted research using mathematical numerical reduction, and his experiments had identified six different tones that were measurable and could aid in the healing of the body and the mind. Would that include like binaural yeah, tones? Yeah, that's exactly the kind oh, okay. of thing. You know, the frequency and the resonance and, and uh, harmonies and things like that. Some of those things just feel good to us. And Tibetan bowls. Tibetan bowls, another yeah. prime example. And lawnmowers. I don't know what model lawnmower resonates at the best healing frequency, but <laughs> I'm sure that there are many gardening implements that have healing powers. So anyway, he identified these six frequencies, 396 hertz, 417 hertz, 528 hertz, 639 hertz, 471 hertz, and 852 hertz. Okay. Oh, also uh, 963, 963 hertz. Okay. He recorded many positive physiological responses in his test subjects, everything from blood pressure lowering to endorphin release mm. to the lowering of the stress hormone cortisol. I would like that one, please. Yeah. This was an intriguing idea to the scientific community at the time, but was it testable in a laboratory setting? In 1988, biochemist Glenn Rain conducted a series of experiments to see if those tones did, in fact, create a measurable positive response at the DNA and cellular level. Okay. So he started wondering if different types of music as well as tones would have similar effects. So he based his research on this. He knew that the health of DNA is affected by the amount of ultraviolet light it can absorb. That is a scientific fact. It's an essential function for healthy DNA. So what he did was he exposed similar DNA vials to four different types of tonal frequencies and songs. He used Gregorian chants. Oh, I love that at nighttime. Sanskrit chants classical music, and rock music. Now, rock can mean anything. Right? Yeah, it, That's anything you know. from the birds to maiden. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty broad category, and he doesn't, it doesn't list exactly what type of rock it was. Okay. So what he did was he measured the amounts of ultraviolet light that the DNA absorbed before, during, and after exposure to these types of music and these particular tones. And the results were remarkable. Ooh. He determined that the Gregorian and Sanskrit chants had the most positive and healing effects by increasing the absorption by DNA of ultraviolet light in the range between 5 and 9%. Whoa. Classical music increased ultraviolet absorption, but only by a small amount. And rock music actually decreased ultraviolet light absorption, which, of course, could potentially harm DNA. Since this discovery, there's been a lot of additional research on those particular frequencies, but also many other frequencies. And they all show that to varying degrees, frequencies can have a profound physiological, emotional, and mental effect oh on a person. Oh my God. Were your parents' generations right? Is rock and roll dangerous? I think maybe, yeah. <laughs> 
It's the devil's music. Well, maybe you just got to go past rock and get into metal. And then it's positive. So let's go back to 1952. There was a German physicist. His name was Winfried Otto Schumann. And he documented mathematically the electromagnetic resonance between the Earth's surface and the ionosphere. This is the electrically charged portion of the Earth's atmosphere. And he discovered electromagnetic waves that came from lightning in this range to resonate at a frequency of 7.86 hertz and 8 hertz. He called the frequency of 8 hertz the Earth's heartbeat. Oh, that sounds nice. Now, Herbert Koenig, who was Schumann's successor and a doctoral candidate built on his predecessor's work, he conducted EEG recordings of brain activity in patients. And what he discovered was that many levels of the human brain activity match exactly the frequency that Schumann was talking about and and referred to as the Earth's heartbeat. He discovered that the resonance matched five different brain wave states. You've heard all of these, delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma. Yeah, none of the people I knew in those fraternities were good kids. <laughs> these are naturally occurring <laughs> brain wave activities that occur during a day, or just a regular day, daily activities ranging from sleeping to learning or being creative. Now, it's incredible enough to think that these similarities between the human brain activity and the Schumann resonance are so similar. But it becomes even more amazing when you consider this. All of those solfeggio frequencies I mentioned earlier resonate in harmony with Schumann's resonance of 8 hertz. Mathematically, it's all math. So they, they match. They all harmonize, in essence. They resonate in unison. But But what color are they? That's a whole different topic. Okay, fine. But the frequencies that resonate with 8 hertz are not just limited to those six tones. There are many, including one that is referred to as the holy frequency. The holy frequency. That resonates at 111 hertz. (laughs) That frequency is associated with the production of endorphins. It's a healing frequency that assists in cell rejuvenation and cell regeneration. At 111 hertz, it's been shown to relieve pain and elevate one's mood. It also has been shown to increase feelings of overall well-being, empathy, and improves focus and memory. I need to start listening to this more. I was going to say, we need all of these. Now, understandably, there are those who say that this is a crank theory or pseudoscience. But there does appear to be some modern scientific evidence that suggests that there is something to this. And we're really just starting to understand it today, now. But it seems as though the knowledge of this goes way back, much, much further than we ever really expected. The world's oldest prehistoric underground temple is in Malta. It's called the Hippogeum of Hal Sathliami. This structure dates back over 5,000 years. Whoa. And we know very little about it. We were just talking a couple of days ago about how old New England is. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're such <Yeah>. assholes. <laughs> It's thought by many that this structure was some sort of a necropolis, and they're basing that based on the fact that they did find 7,000 people that had been entombed there. Okay. Interestingly, many of them had elongated skulls, but that's a whole different topic, too. (laughs) This is the only known example of a subterranean structure from the Bronze Age. 
when described, it's kind of like a labyrinth with various hallways and elliptical chambers that are accessed through many different winding corridors. But there's one room in particular that has fascinated researchers. They refer to it as the Oracle Chamber. It's carved out of solid limestone in a shape that creates incredible acoustic properties. It's also a UNESCO World Heritage Site and has been since 1980. I think that I would like to start checking UNESCO World Heritage Sites off of our bucket list. Like, just alphabetize them and one by one bang 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 because they're neat and i want to go go to them (laughs) Uh uh-huh well on their website in in reference to the oracle chamber they go on to say quote in one of these decorated chambers there is a small niche which echoes when someone speaks into it while this effect may not have been created intentionally it may well have been exploited as part of the rituals that took place in the chambers so one of the effects is that when you speak inside the oracle chamber, just at a regular volume, your words are amplified over 100 times, and they are audible throughout the entire three-level structure. This is a three-level subterranean structure. Can you go here? Yes. (gasps) It's been described by many as being like if you were inside a giant bell when it rings. You can actually feel the vibrations in your bones and tissue as much oh as you can hear it. God. I just felt what you said throughout. Like, it was like, I want my, it's almost like I had preemptive ASMR. Oh. Like, I <laughs> like my body was like, yes, do that. Feel that. Maybe the effects of ASMR can be connected to this Ooh, as well. Interesting. According to Richard Strom, who's an arts and architecture critic, He said, quote, because you sense something coming from somewhere else you can't identify, you're transfixed. This must have been an amazing effect on people 5,000 years ago. But along with these amazing acoustic properties, an Italian research team found that the sound that resonates from this chamber is 110 to 111 hertz, the holy frequency. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, there are many other Neolithic chambers all over the globe that share the exact frequency and pitch as this chamber does. And it's been said that Stonehenge resonates this way when chanting is performed in the center of the ring. Interesting. So is this a weird coincidence or is it intentional? Paulo de Bertolis from the University of Trieste and Niccolo Bisconti from the University of Siena suggest that this chamber may have been designed with these particular acoustics that would affect people's psyche. This, of course, would add to any type of a spiritual experience or ritual. Right. Wow. At UCLA in 2008, researcher Ian McCook and several colleagues designed an experiment with several healthy volunteers. The volunteers were hooked up to EEG machines and exposed to various tones and frequencies. Okay. It was discovered that the, quote, holy frequency between 110 and 111 hertz caused the brain activity to significantly slow down in language centers, and this allowed other processes in the brain to perform more efficiently. The type of brain activity recorded during the, quote, holy tone or holy frequency has been compared to be, well, it's similar to the activity in the brain when you're kind of half awake, half asleep. 
So if you wanted to like maximize the effects of, let's say, a martial art or something like that, maybe playing that frequency while you're doing that exercise yeah. would benefit you? It could. It's, it's been described as almost a hypnotic state. Wow. In some patients, it went as far as to cause vivid audio hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, as well as mental imagery, almost psychedelic. Now, I've always found this concept really interesting. And you mentioned this a few moments ago, Gregorian chants at night. I have recently really started to rely on that. When I have nights where I'm having trouble sleeping, mm. I'll ask you know the lady of the house on the Echo uh, to play Gregorian monk chants. And it does. It helps me greatly to relax and go to sleep. And there have been days when I've forgotten to turn off the Gregorian chants, and I'll come back into the bedroom, and I'll just feel like this peace yeah. in the room. But I recognized calming effects of sounds and tones at a very early age. When sure. I was about six years old, I remember this very distinctly. My mom uh, telling me it was time to take a nap, and I could take a nap on the couch. And I, I didn't want to take a nap. Yeah, I was having trouble falling asleep. The apartment was really quiet, and the only sound I could hear was the sound of the refrigerator humming. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the kitchen, in the next room. And I started focusing on that, and I fell right asleep. Yeah. And so every time that I had to take a nap, I would take it on the couch because the tone or frequency that the refrigerator hum was making calmed me down and, and allowed me to go to sleep more efficiently. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have to have something on or I cannot sleep. Tibetan bulls or binaural or ASMR, but even something like a box fan or the sound of the air conditioner, if it's loud enough right. and consistent enough, mm -hmm. then that'll do. Yeah. My favorite is a dog snoring. Also kitten purrs. Oh my gosh, yes, kitten purrs. That's been scientifically proven to lower one's blood pressure. Right, well, it makes sense. And stress as well. Yeah, because if your cat's chill, then probably there's not a lion coming to eat your, your people around the campfire. Evolution is amazing. It sure is. Now, you can go to YouTube and find pretty much any frequency or tone that you want to listen to. And oftentimes, there'll be descriptions in, you know, as to what it's best for. Mm -hmm. We often talk about the number 1111 showing up in our lives. And I thought it was interesting. And you gave me kind of a wink and a nod when I said that the holy resonance was uh, 111. Right. 1111 is also a significant frequency. 1111 hertz. Huh. And the frequency 1111 hertz is often referred to as the angel number frequency. Right. Frequency of angels helps you to tune into the present moment and the spiritual love, help, and protection that is available to you at any time, wherever you go, whatever you do. And I just find all of that fascinating. I think it just sounds nice. Most of my information comes from a great article that I found on Earthly Mission, also bettersleep.com. Mm. MeditativeMind.org, Wikipedia, um.edu.mt, and ResearchGate.net. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me 
updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Parenthood is an amazing experience, most of the time. A new father in China filed for divorce in 2012 after his wife gave birth to what he considered to be an ugly child. He later sued his ex for misrepresenting her contribution to the gene pool when he found out that she had had extensive plastic surgery. Here's the weird part. A judge ruled in the man's favor and awarded him $120,000. Jamie messaged us on the Freaks group on Facebook, just listening to Jethro's story in Box 472 about paranormal experiences recounted on Reddit to quiet my anxious nerves getting mentally ready for a job interview I have in a short while. I'm paused at the bit about the attack involving the lady in the blue dress on a log. And I say this, 
Don't ever eat apples in your dream. Bad things can only happen if you eat the apple. Religion, folklore, and literature tells us this clearly. You know, she's right. Snow White, the Garden of Eden. Just don't, folks. Don't eat the apple. That's sound advice, and she cited her sources. <laughs> Lorena writes, uh, how about this for a boo effect? I sent an email to you guys about my son's stuffy. He named it Jethro Gilligan. Aww. And uh, since I'm going in order on episodes, like you're supposed to, <laughs> I finally got to box 402, where you read my email. And when we heard it, I looked over at my clock and it was 402. My son and I must have looked crazy. Must have looked like crazy people. We both yelled out and laughed. I forgot to send you a picture, so <laughs> my son wanted me to do it. Here's, here's Jethro Gilligan. Keeping on flying our freak flags out here. They're from California. I'm yeah. sorry. Is he a grilled cheese sandwich? It looks like a grilled cheese sandwich. That's amazing. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast that automatically downloads and sterilizes itself with bleach. You're welcome. This is the Box of Oddities. Just wondering if you have any more catisms for us. Actually, maybe we should start calling them catechisms with a K. <laughs> it's not a thing. The practices of dealing with the deceased varies wildly in the Philippines, depending on the region and the people settled within. We've talked before about the Afugao people who have a practice called Bagua for their dead. After the deceased has been buried, after a period of time, their bones are then dug up, cleaned, and rewrapped before being returned to the grave. Yes. But the one we'll be talking about today is a, a different tradition, and I 
I want to just upfront say I did find some conflicting information regarding the areas that this particular practice takes place and the people who practice it. Most say this is part of the Benguet tradition, but a few say they've seen it practiced within the Afugao. But both are part of the major landmass north of Manila, so intermingling of traditions and such does, sure. does kind of make sense. Yeah, that makes sense. The people of the Philippines have several deities, and many of their practices are centered around appeasing these many deities. And this is one of those. In this particular practice, relatives are informed that their loved one has passed. So they can gather at the home of the deceased to watch over the body. The body is then bathed. According to tradition, a female corpse's bath takes place inside the house, while a male's bath will take place outside the home. Did they say why that was? Don't know. Hmm. Don't it's interesting. Know. It was actually really difficult to find solid information on this particular practice. I found one like scholarly article about it. It had sources, but not sources that I could link to. So it was really hard to confirm that article was okay. accurate, but okay. it was the one that was most in depth. Others, as I said, had conflicting information about the tribes, the location, the names of the pieces used in this practice. Anyway, so I I'm, I'm doing my best here. The dead is then clothed with the traditional woven blanket, the type of which depends on the status of the deceased person. A woman is wrapped with a specific white fabric interspersed with black stripes and then dressed in a loose shirt called a kambal, which serves as the upper garment. Generally, the kambal could be sewn by a close relative. Which I think the practice of making your loved one's death clothes is really sweet. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Some people say in an effort to protect the spirit of the deceased in the afterlife, the body is wrapped in torn blankets or clothes to give the appearance of tattered garments to ward off jealous ghosts that might be looking to steal from the deceased. Well, that's a disturbing thought. Yeah. You go to your great reward and then you're just burgled. No one wants to be burgled in the afterlife. Not if you're wrapped in tatters. The families then pour rice wine on the ground in a symbolic offering to the spirits, and the family of the deceased might also hang the skull of a sacrificed pig outside their home to ward off evil spirits. There is generally a feast involved, and that can vary, again, between places and people who's, who are practicing this. The deceased is then blindfolded to protect them from the suffering world around them. They are then set in a chair or a piece of furniture similar to a ladder. The hands and legs are tied together to keep the body in a sitting position, and the chair is then placed in the main entrance of the home, where it will remain for eight days. Oof. Now, these corpses have not been embalmed. That's right. Okay. Just kind of tidied up. Yep. Just bathed. It's thought that one of the reasons for placing the person in a chair is pragmatic. Once the ritual is complete, the body can then be lain to rest in a semi-fetal position without manipulating the okay. corpse. Okay. Now, more and more, the death chair is falling out of practice. In recent times, the use of wooden coffins is more often the case. But until the coffin is ready, uh, the deceased might be laying out on a bed. Now, this is an 
interesting moment for me because um, this is when I learned something. And I love doing this with you so much because I learn not only about things around the world that are amazing and interesting, uh, but I also learn like basic vocab. (laughs) So I always thought that prone meant just laying down. Mm -hmm. Um, But apparently prone means laying face down. Okay. And I thought that it could be either way, but supine means laying face up. So prone okay, is sure. face down, sure. supine is face up. All right. Learning is fun. Was there anything in there about when haircuts were invented? Shut up. So the hands are fixed over the breast with the right palms spread over the left. The legs are flexed at the knee and the corpse with its head facing the north, its feet facing the south, and the face a little bit tilted toward the right would rest on the bed or the floor right at the entrance door. All right. So this is, again, if they've opted to move away from the death chair. Gotcha. Either way, during those eight days, the elders perform a rite, which involves chanting. Specifically, they chant uh, what is essentially a biography of the person who has passed, kind of like an obit. Okay. Which reminds me, do you remember in the last season of The Office when they went to Dwight's aunt's funeral and people would just stop (laughs) by and state things, state facts about his aunt? She had gray hair Uh and she owned the most land this side of whatever it was. (laughs) I just... (laughs) Oh, the shroot farm. I really like this concept. It's not all flowery and romantic. It's practical and it's accurate. And I would like very much for that to be the way that I am treated after I die. Okay, we better write this crap down. (laughs) She loved orange. And she was obsessed with birds. I'm not obsessed with birds. Friends and family members then help lead the deceased toward heaven by banging bamboo sticks together. Okay. The sound, maybe it's the frequency that it makes. I don't know. And then they were chanting before this. That's right. Yeah. After the ritual is complete, the body is then buried. Now, as I said, the use of the death chair is waning, which, I mean, is understandably considered progress, but it's also another in an enormous and ever-growing list of incredible cultural practices that we are losing. Um, And in my opinion, it's important to share them, even if it's incredibly clumsily, um, so (laughs) that we can have them live on in some way. (laughs) So that's why uh, today we talked about the Filipino death chair. The end. Death chair kind of sounds like a carnival ride, doesn't it? The death chair. I was thinking like an early 2000s emo band. That would work too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got my information from newsinfo.net, discovermagazine.com, blog.sevenpawns.com. You can see how this is... Some interesting sources. <laughs> Portal.bsu.edu.ph.com. A really interesting image uploaded by Ron Hilton on Flickr and thelivingurn.com. Want to thank the latest people who have joined the Order of Freaks and support us on Patreon. Jessica, Norma Jean, and For the Love of Frogs. (laughs) Uh, We do have a Zoom meeting coming right up, so uh, keep that in mind, patrons. I look forward to those. Me too. If you want to support the podcast, become a member of the Order of Freaks, you can go to theboxofoddities.com. 
The information's all right there. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Also, every month we give 10% of the pledges to a charitable organization. And the Order of Freaks are the ones who make the call. And appropriately, uh, this month... They decided that the money would go toward Hurricane Ian relief. We appreciate that very much. Love you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus, tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.